there, I'm Thomas Davis. I'm a tech lead at Vision Ula. Uh, I work on video codecs and video processing. I've been in the industry for a good few years working on uh, RTC applications and broadcast and so on, those kind of things. Well, welcome to the show, Thomas. It's really awesome to have you on Inside the Videoverse. RTC is a hot, hot, hot topic these days. So, Thomas, uh, you know, maybe with that, before we start talking about video coding for RTC, give us a quick overview. You've been working in the space uh, as a video codec developer, as an engineer. What has changed and and how, you know, has the uh, industry and technology shifted over, I don't know, let's say the last 10 years? You can pick the time horizon. Yeah, so... Um I think I mean the thing that's ch changed most obviously has been the enormous scale in in recent years, you know, with the pandemic, um, and therefore you know the complete reliance that that people have had on uh, on using video conferencing, and that's been enabled behind the scenes, really by the cloud revolution. So being able to deploy video conferencing servers in the cloud um, has enabled that very rapid increase in scale so there is scale and then there's the ability to meet that scale really by moving things out of on-premise solutions um, in companies uh, data centers to publicly accessible data centers so that's been a huge change but the other thing that has changed has been simply the the technology under the hood the video codecs themselves have got much more advanced uh conferencing for a long time has been stuck on uh h264 and more recently vp8 but now new codecs like av1 and to some extent hvc are, are have come into the picture and that those have really revolutionized what what you can do with video conferencing in terms of quality yeah, it's um, definitely uh, something that I have observed. And, you know, so th this episode, we're going to focus really on video coding for RTC. It's a very unique challenge with RTC. Uh, of course, we are by very definition, we're talking about real time and, and real time, not meaning like two or three seconds latency, but like 100, 200, 300 milliseconds latency. And that's end to end. So real time means a couple of things it it means being fast and being efficient and uh for video conferencing the the encoders in particular are really fast compared with those other applications but it also means hitting deadlines um and hitting many many deadlines per second every 30th of a second and that that's really tough to do when the whole thrust of video conferencing of of video coding um techniques is really about working out where to spend your effort but in um in rtc you you can't spend lots of effort on one special frame and use that to to predict all the others you have to spread your effort around so you have to hit those deadlines and still produce good video quality um and I think the another aspect is that you have this um, not just very low latency, but you have lossy networks because you don't have time to 
deliver a frame again once it's been sent out it's gone you have to make the best of it so you have to be able to cope in a lossy environment and that's partly a system feature to have that resilience and there are system uh, techniques that you can use to achieve that but it's also about um, allowing your encoder to be configured to recover from from losses Um, and I think the the last thing that I'd add is a great deal of adaptivity because uh, networks change all the time and the reason why you're getting loss is because there's congestion and one of your responses to loss is that you might need to change your resolution you might need to change your bit rate so you need to turn that round on a dime you need to adapt very quickly in a way that looks seamless to the receiver and does not cause um, disruption if you can I know that um, scalable video codecs, you know, SVC um, has been talked about in other standards for years. And yet um, I believe AV1 is really the first where it's been implemented in, in the baseline. Is is that correct? Well, it was in VP9 as well um, okay. that you could, you right. could do um, scalable coding. I mean, what's interesting about AV1 is it's, kind of resolution agnostic you set a maximum resolution and then you can actually send any picture size you like so long as it doesn't exceed that so you can already adapt resolution and you don't need to send a keyframe so that's a useful feature um that has only been added to other codecs in vvc which adds resolution adaptation but it's then natural when you have uh a resolution agnostic encoder that you can do scalability because it's just predicting between different resolutions and and partitioning off those resolution layers for for different receivers um so it's a very flexible system yeah one of the things that comes to mind, you know, when when we think about this speed, uh, you know, I, I like what you said. It's like every thirtieth of a second, that frame's got to go out, and you know, if it doesn't quite make it, or if there's a problem, well, let's do, we'll try we'll try to do better on the next one. <laughs> sort of what you know, this is really a unique challenge compared to I think what a lot of us have come the world we come from, especially in VOD, um, but even broadcast live, uh, you can sometimes you can adjust your latencies and all. You know, a football game, even though it's becoming less desirable to be delayed, but it can be delayed 15 seconds. You know, and so. You you can operate your encoders differently. Um, so what's the impact to the rate control? And uh, talk to us about, you know, some of the things uh, that you yeah, have to so, think about, you know, as a practitioner. Yeah. So when, when you study rate control, you open a textbook on uh, on video coding and you look at your um, your leaky buffer model and, and your leaky bucket model and, and, and so on. The thing is in, over the internet and especially for RTC, almost every part of that is semi-fictional. So um, you're trying to communicate with the far end, and you have a certain um, bit rate that you're trying to hit, but that may not represent the real bandwidth that's available to you in the network because you're competing um, for bandwidth with other services, usually. Um, TCP-based services with 
greedy algorithms who are trying to steal your bandwidth if they can. So you may have an instantaneous bitrate that's fluctuating quite a lot. So that doesn't fit with the usual models that, that people have, and that speaks to the adaptation that you need. The other thing that is um, peculiar to RTC is that you don't get a chance to see the future. So um, you you are proceeding as best you can in order to stay within your rate control limits but the content may change completely and you have to cope with that whereas in a vod case you get a scene change you can code that a couple of times to work out exactly how best to allocate bits but you have less chance to do that there's some things that you can do um the other thing is that um latency does not just come from you know coding time it comes from the the largely from the size of your buffer and the variation in the size of your frame so you have to keep your frames reasonably similar sizes so that they will not um take a long time to receive and then cause display issues and latency at the far end but on the internet you can probably get away with sending a few larger frames from time to time so long as you don't send too many hmm. because you t are in statistically multiplexed large buffers on routers and switches and so on yeah most of the time but even so you do have to keep the frame sizes pretty close to to constant as much as you can to reduce that latency from a video coding perspective how does this affect like sync so that all of the users have a similarly good experience like what do you have to think about yeah so i think a lot of sync problems go away the less latency that you have obviously so you start to see these sync things occurring when um when latencies get high yeah more than a couple of hundred milliseconds oh, more, okay. than, more than 250 okay. something something like that usually when that happens a, an individual receiver may well struggle to to synchronize audio and video um now generally on a client audio is actually the most important thing because you want to hear people you know video um we think is important but um it doesn't convey meaning in the same way so so you you're prioritizing audio in the client and you are therefore trying to sync the video to the audio rather than the other way around so you want to preserve the audio as much as possible and then the the video will get synced to the audio typically you're not um you not you don't tend to share audio from uh from multiple users except that increasingly now in a conference scenario you may want to not have entirely switched audio you want to might want to mix them on a server and then you have a synchronization issue because you want to make sure that you don't delay things too much but you will have to delay some things in order to make sure that they're reasonably in sync the reason why you're mixing is because you want to try and get a better ambience and you and so that people can interrupt better so that they you can you can hear them starting to interrupt. Um, 
but at the but but if you have an entirely switched experience then you don't tend to have too many of the, those kind of problems on a server because you but you need some kind of algorithm to pick the the most appropriate audio usually based on loudness or something like that as a as a video engineer how much are you getting involved in audio or is there is there usually someone else on the team or you know working on the product who's thinking about the audio aspects i'm just curious yeah so the audio focus is much more on getting those packets through um and making sure that the the audio latency end to end is as low as possible that audio gets prioritized correctly that audio metadata is uh is preserved like loudness and so on um and then there are issues like audio scale so if you um have a transcoding server for video conferencing um you, there are similar transcoding servers for audio where you want to take in um uh, you know telephony calls standard pstn calls and transcode them to low bat low bit rates um uh, standards like um aac or whatever uh, or opus um and those have unique technical challenges because you can do that at enormous scale with thousands and thousands of calls on a server. But to do that well is really a, an interesting problem in in high performance computing to be able to to run that many individual processes without being completely destroyed by the threading issues and the the process communication mm. issues that you you have. Um, so that's a kind of interesting specialism within the audio world. Uh, how do you approach and how do you think about uh, designing a codec or optimizing a codec, optimizing a solution that might be deployed on a lower or mid-end mobile device? Um, you know, so ARM and I don't know, four cores and, you know, or six cores, whatever, however many cores are available. Obviously, you can't use them all. And, and then you have someone else who's on, you know, a MacBook Pro. And so what does that look like? And what are some of the challenges that you you have to think about around CPU usage? That's a significant yeah. constraint. It is a significant constraint. Um, I, I think people starting out technically maybe tend to assume, well, real time means can we run it at 30 FPS? and in the real world, if you tried to do that, you, you know, uh, customers' machines, consumers' machines would just seize up because they they want to do other things as well. They want to have their video on. They want to have their share on. So you might only have a fraction of their CPU available, and they might also be doing things that are compute intensive. So they might be sharing a screen um, where they're playing a video in that screen. So you are effectively transcoding something from YouTube or TikTok or something, and they are sending that down the, down the screen. And that's c consuming significant resources. So you do need to be able to adapt your CPU, but also you just need to use not very much um, and less than you might think from trying to achieve your 30 FPS. You actually have to achieve higher speeds than that. Um, then there is also the issue of worst case frame time. Um, 
So it's not enough just to be fast enough. By average, on average, you, you have to hit your deadline. So you have to tackle your worst case frame time. And when the content can change completely, um, that can be very challenging. You know, you have effectively a scene change to, to deal with. You have to um, produce some kind of video in that time. And that will mean from time to time, the quality will, may need to dip in a way that it can't do on, on VOD, but you you just have to accept that and you want to, to minimize it. Um, so you need to have many speed levels um, and to be able to adapt between them. And um, you need to those speed levels to be optimal for this, give you the optimal quality you can for the for the CPU that you have. So you're always in the in the space of trade-offs. So by contrast to, to, to say, a VOD scenario where you're trying to give the very best quality video because it's going to be consumed many, many times. In RTC, the video is disposable. It's consumed usually once. Yeah. Um, but um, so on VOD, you're trying to get as close to perfection as you can, but then keep the costs reasonable, you know, within some kind of budget. Sure. Whereas with RTC, you're always in the in the world of trade-offs. What's the best quality I can do with the CPU I have now? You know, which is a kind of different perspective. You know, in the VOD world, of course, intraframes are um, our friend, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> it seems to me that in the RTC world, intraframes are are a, a challenge or a problem. So, how do they get used? They get used in a few ways. So you need to start with an intraframe. Um, of course. Because you have to yeah. start with something. Yeah. And therefore, if you need to restart, you need to get another keyframe. And the kind of reason you might need to restart is because you've had loss that you can't recover from. So so there are various strategies to avoid to, to provide recovery mechanisms so that you don't have to send a keyframe. Um the other thing that you can do is to try to conceal the quality of your keyframe, maybe send something that is not such high quality, but try to rec- recover quickly over some time. Um, what you can't afford to do is send the perfect iframe, you know, that's, that is entirely pristine, that might take up a second's worth of bandwidth, because not only then will it take a long time to deliver but it if you're trying to recover from from loss it might itself get damaged in transit it may lose some packets and so you will have to send it again so if you are sending a super large intraframe you don't want to send it five times you know and get many seconds of loss now i i know in av1 there's this notion of a a, well not notion there's an s frame Explain what an S frame is, because I'm I'm not sure everyone is even aware of the S frame. And then, is that helpful to us uh, in RTC? The idea of an S frame is really it allows you to switch layers, so it gives you something that you can pause because it uses a a, a special resi- uh, resilient mode that gives you a parsable frame. You can always. D- decode it except possibly for predicting from from previous frames um now that means that um 
it, it also re- resets the buffer, the, the reference frame buffer. And that's particularly useful if you want to switch up to a higher layer um, if you're doing scalable video coding. So it gives you a switching point, usually when you want to go to a higher um, a higher bit rate as a receiver, you can therefore ask a server to say, you know, send me the next few layers and you know that you can decode them because you have this S frame. Now there there is this other feature that um is present in in previous codecs like HT64, which is um uh, some kind of intra refresh um GDR, gradual decoder refresh, where you can start with a stripe of intra blocks and move them across the frame. And if you constrain your motion vectors, then a receiver can start decoding, but it can't produce a displayable output until that GDR has swept right across the frame. Now, in AV1, that would be difficult without an S frame because um, th- lots of data in an AV1 frame depends on previous data. Um, but an S frame allows you to refresh things. So it should be possible to have a GDR like approach using S frames for people to join streams um, where they don't get a keyframe or to switch streams, for example. And these features could be built just using uh, a, a, like, I guess, a baseline implementation, or is there something special required on the decoder? Um, yeah, so a, d- a decoder would need to be robust to not having a keyframe. Yeah. So um, so it would have to not fall over if it doesn't have reference frames in its buffer. It can, if it, so long as it gets a sequence header, it starts decoding, um, and then it, w- it would also need some signaling at a higher layer or in um, some special metadata in the bitstream to tell it when it should be able to display. Got it. So, so there's a little bit of metadata needed and there's some robustness in the decoder not to fall yeah. over and die if it doesn't have yeah. all the reference frames. Inside AV1, I know that there's something called a uh, screen content coding. There's a screen content mm-hmm. coding tool that is quite powerful. Um, it, you know, you, you've done a lot of work on it. I know it's your former company. And then, of course, at Visionular, uh, some very amazing demos, you know, showing just incredibly low bit rates and where screen quality is amazing. So tell us, uh, I'm not sure all the audience knows about screen content coding. Again, if you don't work in RTC, you know, maybe you don't need to know about that. But uh, what is that tool and why is it special? Well, I think one thing that's special about it is it's built into the main profile. So you can always use it. Um, And I think this is one thing that's stymied previous codecs that there there were tools for example in hevc but they were in a different profile you know and they are powerful um but they're not needed all the time and they do have some implications particularly for hardware complexity which is why they had been put in different profiles before um so the these tools include um uh intra-block copy which allows you to within an intra-frame to uh, or a keyframe rather to copy um, 
blocks from one area to to another um so you're effectively doing motion compensation but within the same frame um then there's palette coding um and that allows you to express a block as um a, a list of colors you identify pixels by what color they are so you describe a certain number of colors um then what's also useful is having a very wide range of transforms so it it turns out that um the statistics of screen content of um powerpoints and um uh, spreadsheets and that kind of thing is very different to that of ordinary video and to uh, and in order to code it efficiently different transforms are needed to um decorrelate the data optimally and those, those all make quite a bit of difference um but the other thing i would say too is to produce a really good screen content um encoder you have to you know have um algorithm optimizations about how you approach the encoding process and that that's really some of the secret source that that you can you can apply so it's it's not just the tools it's applying them you know in the right way yeah yeah thank you thomas for coming on and sharing all of your experience and um it's a, it's an exciting time to be in video so uh yeah yeah, it certainly is. It is. It is. Well, thanks very much for having me. It's been, been great fun. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on Inside the Videoverse. Mm-hmm.